Welcome back to another episode of The Serial Killer. I'm your host, Jeremy Skaggs. This is a special 2020 Christmas episode. Uh, After this one, we will not be back until the beginning of 2021. Uh, So I want to wish you all a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. And now we get on to Keith Hunter Jesperson, the Happy Face Killer. Born April 6, 1955, he's a Canadian-American serial killer who murdered at least eight women in the United States during the early 1990s. He is known as the Happy Face Killer because he drew smiley faces on many letters to the media and prosecutors. Many of his victims were sex workers and transients who had no connection to him. Strangulation was his preferred method of murdering, the same method he often used to kill animals as a child. After the body of his first victim, Tawana Bennett, was found, media attention surrounded Laverne Pavlinak, a woman who falsely confessed to having killed Bennett while, with the help of her abusive boyfriend, John Susnovsky. Jesperson was upset that he was not getting any media attention on a bathroom wall Hundreds of miles from the scene of the crime, he drew a smiley face and wrote an anonymous letter in which he confessed to killing Bennett and provided proof. When that did not elicit a response, he began writing letters to the media and prosecutors. His last victim was uh, was the crime that ultimately led to his capture. While Jesperson has claimed to have killed as many as 185 people, only eight murders have been confirmed. And those were from the crime span of January 23rd, 1990 to March 16th, 1995 in the states of California, Florida, Nebraska, Oregon, Washington, and Wyoming. He was apprehended on my birthday, 1995, March 30th. Keith Hunter Jesperson was... Okay, we already did this. Uh, Let's see... To Leslie and Gladys Jesperson in Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. He is the middle child with two brothers and two sisters. His father was a domineering alcoholic and Jesperson claimed that his parental grandfather, who was also violent, uh, Les Jesperson denied being an abusive parent. However, while investigating for his book on Jesperson, author Jack Olson was able to confirm such confirm much of the claimed abuse with other family members. Treated like an outcast by his own family and teased by other children for his large size at a young age, Jesperson was a lonely child who showed a propensity for torturing and killing animals. Despite consistently getting into trouble in his youth, including twice attempting to kill children who had crossed him, Jesperson graduated from high school, secured a job as a truck driver in 1974, got married a year later, and had three children. And in 1990, after 15 years of marriage, Jesperson was divorced and saw his dream to become a Royal Canadian Mounted Policeman dashed following an injury. After retiring or returning to truck driving, it was that year that Jesperson began to kill. In his younger years, Jesperson was given less attention than his siblings and treated differently by the rest of his family. After moving to Sela, Washington, Jesperson had trouble fitting in and making friends because of his large size. His brothers didn't help him. Instead, they nicked him Igor, or Ig, a name that stuck throughout his school years. 
Because of this, he was a shy child content to play by himself much of the time. He would often get into trouble by behaving badly, sometimes violently, and would be severely punished by his father. This included beatings, sometimes with a belt in front of others, and in one case he received an electric shock from his father. At a very early age, as young as five, Jesperson would capture and torture animals. He enjoyed watching animals kill each other as well as feeling he got from taking their lives. This continued as he got older. He would capture birds and stray cats and dogs around the trailer park where he lived with his family, severely beating the animals and then strangling them to death, something for which he claims his father was proud of him. In years following, Jesperson said he often thought about what it would be like to do the same to a human. That desire manifested in two attempted murders. The first happened when Jesperson was around 10. He was friends with a boy named Martin, and the two would often get into trouble together. Jesperson claimed he was punished many times for things Martin had done and blamed on Jesperson. This led Jesperson to attack Martin, violently beating him until his father pulled him away. He later claimed his intention was to kill the boy. Approximately one year later, Jesperson was swimming in a lake when another boy held him underwater until he blacked out. Sometime later, at public pool, Jesperson attempted to drown the boy by holding his head under the water until the lifeguard pulled him away. Jesperson reportedly reported that he was raped at the age of 14. He graduated from high school in 73, but did not attend college because his father did not believe he could do it. Although he was not successful with girls in high school, having never even attended a school dance or his prom, neither did I, he did enter into a relationship after high school. And in 75, when Jesperson was 20, he married Rose Huck. And the couple had three children, two daughters and one son. Jesperson worked as a truck driver to support the family. Several years later, Huck began to suspect Jesperson was having an affair when strange women would call. Tension in the marriage increased, and after 14 years, Jesperson was on the road. Huck packed up her and her children's belongings and drove 200 miles away to live with her parents in Spokane, Washington. The oldest child, Melissa, was 10 years old. Jesperson continued, geez, I'm sorry, continued to spend time with his children when he was in town. The couple divorced in 1990. At the age of 35, standing six feet, seven and a half inches and weighing approximately 240 pounds, Jesperson began working toward the goal of being a Royal Canadian Mounted Policeman. But an injury suffered while traveling ended his dream. He then sought work again as an interstate truck driver after relocating to uh, Cheney, Washington. Jesperson soon really realized that his job that this job offered him the opportunity to kill without being suspected. His first known victim was Tawana Bennett on January 23rd, 1990, near Portland, Oregon. He introduced himself to Bennett at a bar and invited her to the house he was renting. He brought her home with the idea of having sexual intercourse with her, and when Bennett refused, he proceeded to strike and beat her. Worried that she would report this to the police, he then put his fist in her mouth and killed her. He established an alibi by going back out for some drinks, being sure to converse with others before returning to retrieve Bennett's body and belongings to dispose of them. He was back on the road the next day. The body was found a few days later, but there was no suspects and no leads. 
It was two and a half years after his first kill when Jesperson killed again on August 30th, 1992. The currently unidentified body of a woman he raped and strangled was found near Blythe, California. He says the Jane Doe's name was Claudia. A month later in Turlock, California, the body of Cynthia Lynn Rose was discovered. He claims he was she was a sex worker who entered his truck at a truck stop while he slept. His fourth victim was another sex worker, Lori Ann Pentland of Salem, Oregon. Her body was found in November of that year. According to Jesperson, she attempted to double the fee she charged for sex. He had been engaged in with her. She threatened to call the police. He strangled her. It was more than six months before his next victim, found June 1993. Another unidentified woman, a street person in Santa Nella, California, who he claimed was named Carla or Cindy. Police originally considered her death a drug overdose. overdose. Golly, I can't talk tonight. (laughs) More than one year later, in September 1994, another Jane Doe was found in Crestview, Florida. Jesperson claims her name was Susan. Jesperson was arrested on March 30th, 1995 for the murder of Winningham. He had been questioned by police a week before, but they had no grounds to arrest him after he refused to talk. In the days following, Jesperson decided that he was certainly going to be arrested, and after two suicide attempts, he turned himself in, hoping it would result in leniency during his sentencing. While in custody, Jesperson began revealing details of his killings and making claims of many others, most of which he later recanted. Also, a few days before his arrest, he wrote a letter to his brother. In it, he confessed to having killed eight people over the course of five years. This led police agencies in several states across the country to reopen old cases, many of which were found to be possible victims of Jesperson. Although Jesperson at one point claimed to have had as many as 185 victims, only the eight women killed in California, Florida, Nebraska, Oregon, Washington, and Wyoming have been confirmed. He is serving three consecutive life sentences at the Oregon State Penitentiary in Salem. In September 2009, he was indicated for murder, indicted, no, indicated, indicated, eh, whatever, indicted for murder in Riverside County, California. He was extradited to California to face the charges in December. Jesperson was convicted of this murder and received a fourth life sentence in January 2010. All right. Now we kind of go into um, the Laverne Pavlinak uh, thing Early in the investigation, Tawana Bennett's murder, Laverne Pavanak read the news reports surrounding Tawana Bennett's death and saw it was an opportunity to force an end to a long-term abusive relationship she had been in with her live-in boyfriend, John Sovnoski. She set up a meeting with the investigation, investigating detective and gave false confession using the details she had read in reports to give a detailed story of how... Sosnovsky forced her to help him rape, murder, and dispose of Bennett's body. Pavlinak and Sosnovsky were both arrested on March 5th, 1990, and both were convicted of the murder on February 8th, 1991. To avoid the possibility of facing the death penalty, Sosnovsky pleaded guilty. He was sentenced to life in prison, while Pavlinak was sentenced to no less than 10 years, much more than she had anticipated. She soon admitted to making it all up, but her claims were ignored. 
On January 7, 1996, more than five years since the conviction, Pavlinak and Sosnovsky were released from prison after Jesperson and, and his attorney offered his confession with the convincing evidence of his guilt. He had given police officers the location of the victim's purse. The purse had not been found, and it is and its location was considered information only the killer would know. The Happy Face Killer, following Tawana Bennett's murder, all the as all the attention was going to Pavlak and Sosnowski, Jesperson, yada yada da, 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 smiley face that did not create attention. Okay, we read all this earlier. Jesperson's daughter in November 2008, Jesperson's daughter Melissa G. Moore, appeared on the Dr. Phil show to talk about her father. She was also featured on Oprah Winfrey's show September 17th of 2009, the Lifetime Movies Network series Monster in My Family episode titled Happy Face Killer, Keith Hunter Jesperson, July 1st, 2015, and a 2020 special August 20th, 2010. In 2008, Moore published a book titled Shattered Silence, an untold story of serial killer's daughter. Moore lived with her father until her parents divorced in 1990. Moore noticed her father was different when she was in elementary school. Their house bordered an apple orchard and her dad killed stray cats and gophers that wandered nearby. One day she watched, horrified, as he hung stray kittens from the family's clothesline. She ran to get her mother and when they returned, the kittens lay on the ground dead. He had watched and laughed as the kittens clawed each other to escape. Then he killed them. She wrote an article about her father for the BBC in November 2014. In March 2018, she was featured on an episode titled Put on a Happy Face on the true crime series Evil Lives Here. She was also a correspondent for Crime Watch Daily. In September 2018, podcast network How Stuff Works began releasing a show called Happy Face, featuring interviews with Melissa about her childhood and her father. There's also all kinds of references you can look up and all kinds of other stuff on him. Anyways, this was a little bit longer of an episode, which is good because sometimes I put out a lot of shorter episodes. But anyways, I wanted to say if you guys want to follow us, we'd love to get more followers the serial kill 11 on Twitter. And if you guys ever have anything that you, an episode you want me to do, just hit me up on Twitter and say, Hey, can you do an episode on this? And I would love to do it. Um, and everybody, Merry Christmas, happy new year. Let's get 2020 behind us and hope to God that 2021 is going to be a lot better for everybody. So love y'all. Thank you all for listening. Uh, this is Jeremy Skaggs, host of the serial killer. I will see you in 2021. Take care.